0: Say it. so in terms of difference for me the biggest thing is yeah it's the distractions and um i'm now like like do you have a regular schedule because you always work from home get up shower do because I'm, I'm now used, i'm like rocking looks like my grandmother's fucking sweater it's, <laughs> nice. it's, it's, all about,
1: <laughs> it's all about the routine man honestly i mean i mean i've been working from home from home now for like five years right this has been sort of everything's online everything's at home but the routine is important so I, i'm an early bird so i wake up at 4:30 every day Holy monday to friday Damn. and then it takes me 30 minutes to get to my desk but then i find that the five the hours between 5 a.m and 9 a.m are the most productive because it's really easy to get distracted when everybody's sort of online and everybody's sort of awake and you get emails and you get messages and whatever but if you're at the your desk at five a.m., like you're just not going to slack off. Like it's just like, you know, you're you're up early. There's nobody else around. Yeah. Nobody's bothering you. So, yeah, I can usually get a large part of my work done like before everybody else starts work. So I find that to be helpful. But yeah, man, it's hard when you first start out, right? It's a change for sure. Here's,
0: here's the biggest thing for me is um, if I get up at five. So what time do you go to sleep at?
1: Before ten. Before ten, yeah, I try. I try to. I try to. I'm trying to fall asleep around nine thirty.
0: See, I can't. There's no. If I. I can, there's a certain point where I can maybe go to bed around like eleven. Eleven. No, you know what? That's a fucking lie. Eleven thirty. Midnight. But so I can get like. It depends when I'm waking up, but that's it. Doesn't matter if I start waking up at four o'clock. That's pretty much it. So that's when it starts getting tough.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, man, like. I, I can go off six hours of sleep. Yeah, no problem. I find that if I get less than six hours of sleep, it, it becomes you know, like I start to like my mind starts to wander throughout the day a little bit. But six hours of sleep, I'm fine. But I definitely know that like for different people, man, like, people have different tolerances for the, for sleep. Like I know some some people that just need nine hours, they need 10 hours. It's like for me, like, I can
0: <laughs> i could i could lay there for 10 hours man like yeah just, i could do it uh, there's, that yeah for me that sounds crazy to try to fade in um what about like the, the for me a social thing is a big like if i work from home here's what i didn't think was gonna get me that starting to and i noticed like you see people like ellis McLean even made a post and he's i don't know maybe i kind of identify with his personality because he's pretty social as well but he was like holy shit, I didn't think it was going to affect me like this. I didn't think, like, you know, early on, we all had jokes about, hey, I'm an introvert, I don't see no difference, oh, I can't wait to have plans again to cancel on people, shit like that, and we're all posting those memes, and then, like, three weeks in, um, you're kind of like, wow, this kind of does affect you a little bit, like, you start feeling like you're on house arrest, and it's yeah weird.
1: I, I think more than, like, I think so I think that there's a certain type of personality that it's really going to affect, right? If you're if you're if you're a big extrovert, you sort of thrive on on being around other people and and that interaction. You know, like I think it's going to be really really challenging. I think it's going to be challenging for everybody, even even introverts. Like I think I think eventually it'll take it it'll take its toll. But what I'm finding to be particularly challenging is just somewhat of the realization that you know your freedoms are starting to be restricted. Yeah. and that that to me causes like a little bit of like anxiety like like them you know like the government starting to impose on like well you can only you know go out if you're doing xyz and it's just like whoa like you realize like yeah <laughs> like you actually like you actually take for granted like just very simple things like very simple freedoms right and so more than for me like socially like being around other people like i, I i'm fine connecting in like this format like you know um you know, or on um, you know, yeah, Skype and, and Zoom and whatever, FaceTime, like it, it, that's all fine for me, but it's just like it causes me anxiety, just not being able to do what I've always done, and you take that for granted, right? Like,
0: well, they 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 say so. Historically speaking, when the government does measures like this, usually, and I, I think they will back off, but it's very hard to take away those measures. So when they when you lose rights, in historically speaking. It is very tough to get all of them back. 85% back, sure. But there's shit with 9-11 or whatever. Uh, the U.S. did things and they, they, they're still doing them. Like who, Obama, whoever comes in and is like, wow, they'll, they'll even dive deeper into surveillance and checking out what you're doing and whatnot. So oftentimes when these emergency measures come into place, you lose some rights. That's what makes you nervous because now you got a bit of a taste. You're like, holy shit. That was quick. Yeah. I mean, That was quick.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I think a lot of people are actually willing. And I'm not quite sure if it's maybe a particular type of person or somebody with a particular type of political belief. But you know, a lot of people are willing to sort of give up give up their their freedoms for that for that safety and security. So it's an interesting conversation to have, right? But I, I think I definitely think you know the example of 9/11. Like I remember, like you know, before you, you go to the airport and you know you, you wouldn't have to take off your shoes, right? And you wouldn't have have to do all this crazy screening. But then ever since nine eleven, 11 well, of course, like, that makes sense. Like, you're willing, like, I would want people to do that. Like, I want people to take off their shoes now. And I just wonder, like, now, like, so, you know, taking it to this example here, it's like, well, are people now going to really expect a lot of physical distancing? Like, are, are you know, is it not going to be appropriate to sort of, you know, stand right next to another person in a line in a grocery store? Like, is it going to have to be like four feet or six feet or whatever? Um, like, are they going to start to, like, build buildings differently now because because of it you know so that they don't have you know a lot of people congregating in the same space like it will be interesting to see like how how certain measures that are being taken right now that are seen as temporary how like how fixed they actually do become because yeah i think a lot of people will, will want to opt for like just having a little bit more safety a little more security you know if they have to do you know if they have to restrict themselves or within a certain distance of certain people i think they're going to be willing to do it as you know they it's scary, man, like, you know, like it's gonna be interesting to see what happens here.
0: Well, you have like, I think for instance, some situations like um, people, like your company's asking, can you work at home? Can we set you up at home? And then you'll see less and less massive buildings. Cause why would we have a massive building then? We we already know we could do it now. And we did it for like, if it's going to be however many months and, and it was capable, let's just send people at home. We're paying, they're paying for their homes. And it starts becoming, well, do I get a kickback for money? Well, maybe being not. I let's talk about that, but it's going to be a discussion now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think all of that's very interesting, right? Like, you know, not just working, but like, you know, schools and education. It's like, I, I know that like like online education is becoming you know more and more popular, and you know, it's like, well, are we going to have? Are we going to have like right now? It's probably. I mean, I don't know what the split is, but you know, a majority of people get their education online. Like, are we going to have that swing so that like you know now? you know, now that we're going to have, you know, just used to all this technology, the zoom calls, you know, just different types of learning formats. It's like, are we going to be able to swing and go full on online and nothing in person? Like, that will just be interesting to see what happens. Cause I, I think you're right. Like we're just getting used to it now. And, and, and it's not over, man. Like it's only the, it's only like the middle of April. Like I guarantee, like this is going to, a lot of these measures are staying in place for till at least June, if not longer. And I think even then, I think we're going to see like, certain parts of society start to open up, but in terms of like the gyms, like I, I can't see them being like gyms being the, you know, the first thing that opens up, yeah. right? Like like gyms are like l- gyms, bars, like they're the last to come <laughs> out of all of this, right? So yeah, I'll just, you know, like we're gonna, we're all gonna get used to sort of communicating and, and sort of living like remotely. Like I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see whether a lot of it sticks for sure.
0: It's, it's, it's gonna be interesting. Um, like when you're growing up and you go to school, did you ever meet somebody at like 18 or so that was homeschooled? Yeah, you thought
1: they were like a weirdo.
0: <laughs> dude, to, to a man. Okay, to a man. Here's the thing. I have, there's a couple guys who, who not one dude, never a couple guys. There's one dude who came around, kind of started, like, I don't know how he ended up knowing us, but he's kind of around the crew a little bit. And around us. He couldn't, like, he was awkward around fellas, which I've never met a dude who's awkward awkward around dudes because dudes don't give a shit. Like, you just, man, you know when you're hanging out with dudes, we, it's just sloppy, whatever. Who's impressing? You impress nobody. Your inhibitions are gone. We do some stupid stuff, say stupid stuff. Um, but this dude was awkward around us, like, joking around. He couldn't tell if you are joking or not, or is he busting my, is he mad at me? No, he's busting your chops. What are you talking about? That's what dudes do. You bust chops. You forget about it. It's shit like that. Or arguments come up and you're arguing about sports. Some dude's raising his voice. He's like, holy shit, are these guys... No, it's nothing. What are you talking about? This is what you do. You get in an argument. You tell your buddy to go fuck himself. He's an idiot. But you know what? I, it, the next play happens and you're on to the next one. And, um, dude, if a fucking girl was in the room, if, if someone's girlfriend came over, my man's was like... <laughs> it's like about, have, you got, have you never been around a girl? Like, besides your mother your sister, like, it was a whole nother and I'm not saying, like, uh, I had the craziest good social skills when I was a kid. I don't know if any of us did. Uh, I developed most of my social skills, like, grew into the way I am as an adult, you know, when I was younger. But, For sure. But the kids who had no schooling with other kids, socially speaking, was a fucking disaster. And then, and I'm not saying, all oh, kids are going to be like that at home school, but it's a lot easier to slide into that if you're homeschooled. And then even if you got me up to the point of 18 and you didn't make me go to university college or the workforce, or if I went to the workforce, I was at home. Even then, man, if it's doled back, we're going to, we, if we do this 20 years from now, the kids we're making fun of being on the phone all the time are going to be like social geniuses to the next (laughs) crop of kids. You know what I mean?
1: Well, that's the thing. Maybe, maybe in the future, we don't need to be able to pick up on, social cues in person (laughs) maybe maybe that's not a skill that we maybe that's not a skill we need maybe that'll just die
0: out (laughs) that holy shit would that be awkward and a dude like me would be and then I would be the weird one dude we came full circle didn't we did we exactly man the guys who actually have social skills become like why are you talking so close to me why is your voice raised what does it matter with you exactly um, man yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting how also it's affecting, obviously, the powerlifting schedule among all these other different schedules. And um, well, you know, let's get into it a little bit. Let's tell people who you are. <laughs> Most people probably don't know because I've been hyping it. But lately, I've had a lot of head coaches from around the world. And um, they, they lift at the world level, uh, compete at the world level, and all these different showdowns. And they were trying Irian on here, uh, Messi Camessi, Bill McCarthy, Rory Lynch, Sean Crow from Team Ireland. And um, people, the the feedback we got in terms of handling and the art of handling and what goes on at the world level and even the national level, trying to get people world spots, um, people like the, the DMs and the reposts and the downloads have been insane. And I think for a lot of people, it's eye-opening. And um, these people were saying, so at the end of the episodes, I was like, Who are some of the people, the chess masters in the game that when you look at it, you look across the way and you're like, who do they got? Who are some of the people you're worried about? And they all mentioned your name, A. And then (laughs) Rory Lynch, B, was like, um, you were a mentor to him. You were a guy that he would debrief with at the end of championships. And be on the phone for two hours, running over plays, being like, "This, this happened, I think that should have happened. I seen the other coach did this and just totally debriefing, which for a lot of people, they'd be like, you're why debrief? When you're just working up to a max one rep max. So they, a lot of people just did not get it at all. So I wanted to bring yeah. you on because literally you have like three episodes <laughs> building up your credibility, not from my oh, mouth either, from your competitor's mouth.
1: Oh, well, that's very nice. You know, that's very nice. Yeah. I mean, I guess for those who don't, don't know who I am, um, I've coached at eight world championships, um, and several other international competitions before that, um, I was obviously competing myself. I've competed at 11 national championships in, in Canada. Um, my claim to fame was sort of the bench press. Um, I was always stronger in the bench press than, than the other lifts. So I, I did compete at a, a few uh, world bench press championships in 2010. I, I got a bronze medal there. Um, so, you know, bench press was always sort of a passion, but but obviously coaching is more of a passion. Um, so, yeah, I've been the head coach for Team Canada Powerlifting for, uh, through several world championships, um, and particularly sort of as the sport was taking off as classic was becoming more popular, Popular. Um, I was on the classic teams, working with junior athletes, open athletes, um, and 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 in in Canada, like we have a fairly structured system. Not not many countries have a structured system for coaching, but but we do have a, a good structure. Like if you want to be a national team coach, a head coach, um, you know, there's some work, legwork in order to get there. You have to have some some certifications. You, you have to um, have the experience, and and it's it's not just anybody walks on the team. Um, and then at that level. So I guess where I got my coaching chops was, uh, early on, um, uh, they would assign, um, they would assign one coach for the entire team. So, you know, if you were the head coach, you were the head coach for the sub juniors, uh, men and women, juniors, men and women, uh, open men and women, and then master one, master two, master three oh, men and women. Shit. So yeah, there was, there, there were championships where you would have complete control over, over a hundred athletes game plans. Um, and so in, in, in international competition, I think I worked it out to, I've had, I've, I've handled over 4,500 attempts in international competition. Um, and that's just because you were forced to coach that many comp, that many in one meet. you were forced to coach several comp like dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of competitions back to back to back to back. To back. So it's all just reps at that point, right? It's just, it's yeah. just time. It's just like time under the bar. You just get so much practice at, 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 just game day coaching. Um, what, what do you begin to realize, you know, when you, when you, when you've game day coached that much and. and you, when you walk up into an international competition, you see, you obviously see, right. You see who the, who the roster is. Um, and you see who has the strongest lifts, you know, in the nominations, but very often, those change. The, the strongest lifters don't, don't, don't often uh, come out on top. And so why is that? Like, what, what's, what's going on there? And, and if you get into the nitty-gritty, there is a lot of strategy and tactics that happen throughout the day um, in picking attempts at that level, it's not necessarily what you want to do. Um, it's not going for a PR. It's not trying to extract as many kilos as you can from the competition platform. It's selecting attempts based on various powerlifting rules, right? It's, uh, selecting, uh, attempts based on what's happening on the score sheet, responding to other lifters attempts. And, um, there's a lot of maneuvering that happens. And so, um, when you get practice in those environments, and and, and and this is the problem, this is why people don't understand game day coaching, you don't get that level of experience unless you're going head-to-head with two, three, four other people for a podium spot, hmm. when every line and, 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 and you have to beat other people. If you take a look at local level competitions, right? I mean, what's the goal? Why do people compete? Why do people compete in powerlifting, right? Well, you compete because one, maybe you want a challenging context to you know achieve a personal goal or you want to sort of test your strength because you've just been training for, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks. And you want to just sort of set a PR, right? Maybe it's a community thing. Maybe you want to go and you want to be with your friends and whatever, but, Beyond that local level, you want to get better. You want to go to the state or provincial level. You want to go to the national level. You want to go from a national level to an international level. It has nothing to do with PRs at that point, nothing to do with what you want to lift. It's beating other people. And when your goal switches from internally, internally, I want to do well, to externally, I want to beat other people the, the game day strategy changes. Um, and so I just got a lot of practice early on with, again, like I said, coaching over, over a hundred athletes in a single meet um, what it's like to beat, beat other people and, and how to manage attempts. So, I just think that I've had a, a little bit more practice than some of these other coaches, but I mean, guys like Rory that you've said, you know, like, I mean, he's, he's now at every international competition for New Zealand. Um, he got an invite to um, um, the Sheffield. I mean, now the Sheffield championships isn't happening, but um, there's lots of guys now where, I mean, you're talking about, you know, guys being afraid of going head to head with me. It's like, I see guys coming up and I'm just like, they know that they know their stuff now. Right. It's, it's not like, it's not like the early days where just like, you could beat other people on, you know, because you're the only guy who knows the strategy. These other guys know strategy now. So there's definitely an, an art to it now and some gamemanship, which is pretty awesome to see.
0: Yeah, it's funny how, so the way Rory was explaining it, it was like, if your playbook is thin, you know, because everyone's got different playbooks. Like, for instance, um, you know, some guys are to hide what they're going to do with the last deadlift, skip on their second deadlift, and they're going all in on their third deadlift, and... Whatever, or you know, they're changing their their openers on deadlift. They have it artificially high to push the subtotal lifter, the guy who they're going against. He builds his total off the subtotal, so you're going to try to put the pressure on him to overextend on his third bench, third squat, because he's looking ahead at your forecast and he's like, holy fuck, I'm going to have a, I'm going to need a really big subtotal. But that is an artificial opening dead. You drop that bad boy when deads comes around so after he's missed a couple of thirds, and they were like, shit. That was kind of hard to call. We knew his dead was big, but we didn't know where exactly it was. And then boom, boom, boom. There's different things you could do at the world level. When when you see a couple things happen, you kind of add those tools to your toolbox. However, exactly like you said, when you haven't seen a shitload and you got one or two tools, but you only have those one or two tools, Rory explained it like this. It was like, um, because he read the book Moneyball. And they were talking about this guy who's in the minor leagues for baseball. Smoking everybody. Killing everybody. All the pitchers were like, this guy's fucking slamming these out of the park. But by the time he got to the majors, the bigs, he was on a massive streak about 60 games in. And the rest of the teams recognized his playbook, recognized what they're doing, and shut that shit down. And the guy never hit another home run, and he's right back to the minor leagues. His playbook was thin, and he could not adapt. And he couldn't adapt because he hadn't seen, he hadn't learned enough tools. He didn't seen enough and had that kind of coaching. Um, so, and I remember you coming into the fray in Canada when it was kind of along the lines of when everything went raw or classic, equip, unequipped, or whatever, um, in the IPF, and it was somewhat early days, and you approached the game and took Canada, which historically speaking in the equipped days was not a world beater, and we jumped up to number two in the world at champion world championships, and just out, outlifting, outperforming, and people were like, how are some of these lifters who are nominated 15th coming in top five and, and conceivably on nominations, they shouldn't have done that. And routinely this happens where you're squeezing from a much smaller talent pool and getting a much bigger product out of it. And then it started happening where people are like, Oh, there's something going on over there with the Canadian coaches. And everybody starts all of a sudden scouting's happening. And this guy, if he, he misses, 33 percent of his final squats and if he misses a final squat well that percentage for his final dead jumps up to and all of a sudden scouting numbers happen and probability because you can't do that shit in your head on the fly you're just vibing it things it was game changing and now guy's show up with fucking dossiers they don't just have the temp cards they got folders and shit
1: um,
0: yeah and i think like yeah
1: like it, it's well credit credit to where credit's due right like there, there are the, the athletes in canada are are, are are exceptional uh like they you know we've we i think classic has been classic was the the ultimate equalizer because you know i think you had classic lifters in canada that that just couldn't figure out the gear they just didn't have you know the mentorship or the or the or the people around them to help them with the gear as soon as there was a classic division all of these people that you hadn't even heard of could could start to showcase their actual talents um, so it, it was sort of you know we, we had amazing athletes but you know when you're going into a world championship and you know you're 10 kilos from from third place um you can make up that gap on strategy 15 kilos from third place you can make up that gap on strategy um especially if the other coaches don't don't have the strategy so um like it, it's so I think a big challenge for a lot of people, a big challenge, is just that they don't understand the math. Um, it, it's simple math um, that you have to do when you're when you're selecting it. And, and I'm just referring to like um, like 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 going into a second attempt deadlift, and a third attempt deadlift. At that point, it's it, it, there's a lot of math involved. It's simple math, but you have to do a lot of it, and you have to do it very fast, and you have to be in control of 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 of, of different scenarios. So if it, it, it like if X lifter jumps this much then that forces that other lifter to jump that that much and that will force us to do this much now that's only two or three lifters if you have three or four or five lifters that you're going head to head with you're having to do those sort of calculations very 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 quickly and you have to have a very strong hold on it and then you know other lifters are trying to fake certain attempts so you know you have to realize like well okay that's maybe not a real attempt let's try to figure out their their plan b or their plan c and so you're 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 having to do a lot of math. You're having to do it very quickly, um, and you're going to make mistakes. I remember making mistakes at the World Championships because I didn't know my math, and it, and it cost positions. Uh, and but you make mistakes once, you learn from it, and and you'll never make that mistake again. I, I see mistakes happening all the time now because I, I have that sort of you know 10,000 foot view, and I can see coaches making mistakes, and I can see myself there 10 years ago. Right where, where I was making that exact same mistake because I didn't have a strong enough grasp of the math, the amount of the, the amount of math that you have to do. It's very simple, but you have to be able to do it quickly. And oftentimes you have to do it in your head. Athletes or sorry, coaches try to write out the math on their sheets, and and I, and I don't even think that's a good approach because I think it's too slow. I think you have to be able to do the mental calculations. You have to practice in your head and have have a strong sort of um yeah mental cal- calculator because it just happens so fast. You have split seconds to make a decision. Um, And oftentimes what I see is just that coaches run out of time. They haven't figured out the math and they're putting in some random number and then I've just beat them because they've, you know, they they haven't figured it out properly. Um, But yeah, it's, it's strategy to get somebody onto the podium. And that's why coaches don't have, um, don't have that experience because oftentimes at local level meets, they, they're the only person in their class. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're the only person in their class, right? So so it's like going for the podium isn't, isn't even part of their whole, their goal structure. Um, yeah, but we can talk forever about strategy. We can talk, you know, specific examples. I mean, I'm happy to happy to share stories. It's, it's, it's up to you, right? <laughs>
0: no, I mean, for sure. I, man, I love a good war story. I remember, for instance, um, Bill McCarthy was just on the show and he was saying, kind of like you were, where he had said, kid LS McLean, and he had crunched some numbers. So, um, you could change your last deadlift twice. For anyone listening who doesn't know that, you can. And sometimes it isn't just, what's the heaviest deadlift you think you can hit? And, um, or you saw a second deadlift and you're like, we're going to throw 10 kilo on that. He was like, because LS was going to get out pulled by a lot of these guys and they knew it. And if you're just looking at the nominations, you could get pulled into a firefight you don't need. And Bill was like, some of those nominations are bullshit because they know they're deadlifting uh, more than you. So they, they just have to change your deadlift. They can't, the de- obviously the bar can't decrease. They can't go below your attempt. But they already know they're going to pull more than you. They want you to chase. It's bullshit. They want you to add too much. Get a little too close. He's like, either they change after you pull yours. Or they try that and they fucking fail. But I'm telling you that's the truth. Because I crunched the numbers. And they're not capable of what they have up there. And Bill's like, if you, it's like a test. When you're going to make these decisions... If you, like In terms of the calculations, if you already know the moving pieces, the intangibles, and you know your opponent, and you know your lifter, then when you're doing the calculations, it's a lot easier because less shit to worry about, right? To be like, where are we at? Who's this guy? You're not doing that in 60 seconds. You have to do a lot of math real quick. So Bill told LS, here's what we're going to hit. Go out there, hit it. LS hits it, comes back. And LS, actually, he didn't say LS what he was going to hit. He just told him, go out and hit this. This is what we got. LS saw what the weight was. was super fucking mad. He's like, dude, there's four more deadlifters after us. He's like, relax, we're good, watch. Boom, dude misses. Boom, another guy misses. Well, now we're bronze. Boom, another guy misses. Well, now we're silver. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. All right, one more, 50-50, and then you got gold. And then, boom, another guy misses. And he's like, this is where we're at. So a couple dudes changed last minute, still miss. A couple dudes didn't change, but they were just all in, so to speak. And it's like, you can get... You can get bullied off a platform, or you can, you can be chasing bad money, and it's not really there. Another situation, Rory was like, uh, in the showdown with Orhi versus um, Gibbs, Rory said, on the third attempt squat, Brett and Angus were like, put in 290. And then he, he, like you were saying about math, he did the math real quick in his head, and he's like, Looking at the forecast, fucking, I can't. I don't got those math skills, my brother. So I wouldn't be able to do what you guys do. He said, if I look at the, I looked at the forecast, and if we hit 290, looking at the forecast, the probability from what we were looking at previously, if he hits 290, we're in it, but we're just barely. 295 is probably a 35% chance Brett's gonna get it at this point. So people think that's a shitty deal. But if he gets it. We're back up to 50-50 with, with Orhee. We're eyeball to eyeball. We're still in the race. And he didn't have to ask Brett, would you go for a 35% chance squat if it means you're back at parity? Or do you want to go for something easier? But we're, we're starting to fall behind, my friend. And now we're starting to play catch up. And I don't know who's got the bigger depth. We're, 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 we're kind of, I'm not sure. These are like the split second, you know, examples of where coaches, when you come into it and A, you kind of know the opposition. He knew or he, and they knew, they had an idea of where or he would be. Same with Bill. He knew where the other four guys, like you said, much more complicated was a tight field. The other four guys, you got a split second, and you're like, I know my lifter. I know the opposition. And if I had to guess the probabilities, five kilo, which doesn't sound like much, can increase your chances from 35% to 50% or, or whatever, right? So it's, it's that mean, tight. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think it's very hard for people
1: to listen to this and 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 really understand like what's on the line. Like, this is high stakes coaching, right? You're coaching two of the best athletes in the world. Um, this is for the world championships. Um, this is a this is a this is a a huge session, right? All eyeballs are on this session. Um, it's probably the most popular session that you're gonna have in powerlifting for the year. Um, and the amount of pressure involved is just it's insane. Um, as, as a coach, you're the one managing the numbers. The athlete has no control over the numbers at that point the athlete just wants to go and lift whatever's on the bar they have to lift it um, every attempt their job is to just go and lift lift the weight um, if, if they get caught up in the numbers and the strategy um, they're going to be distracted from their job their job is to lift weights your job as a coach is to select the numbers so it is incredibly stressful incredibly stressful as a coach and you, you don't realize that because everybody is scrutinizing the numbers. Right. Whether they make or they whether they make the lift or not, the athlete, it comes back to the, the selection in numbers. And everybody is going to have something to say about that. So the stakes are very, very high. Um, and, and nobody will understand what that feels like. Nobody until you're in that position. So um, when you're talking about making a decision between two ninety 290 and two ninety five, there's probably no right or wrong answer in the moment. But you have to decide. Mm. OK, And sometimes it comes down to your personal coaching philosophy. Like for me, you cannot afford to miss a third squat. You cannot afford to miss your third squat. It is critically important to winning a championship at the end of the day or getting on the podium or beating your competitor. It comes down to the third squat. And I I have the stats somewhere about people who miss their third squat and go on to miss a a third deadlift. I think it's something like, 58 percent it's higher than 50 hey, percent wow. so so there's a high probability between missing your third squat and then going on and missing another lift right. uh, your third deadlift um you, you have to make your third squat you're basically 50 percent better than the field if you make the third squat so i am way less um I'm, I'm i i do make risky decisions but not on the third squat and that's maybe where rory and i sort of diverge in our philosophies Um, you know maybe he's he's he can justify his five kilo increase and maybe 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 you know maybe maybe i'm i'm the opposite but um yeah there's there's no wrong decision but at the end of the day you're the one who's calling the shots i guess you know you mentioned a couple things which are interesting here like when you research your competitors first of all i don't think a lot of people should be researching their competitors I, i think that i think it I think the coach should be researching the competitors. I don't think athletes should because I think it distracts them. Again, like the you cannot control what your athletes are lifting. Like you can only control what you're doing. Just focus on what you're doing. But the coach should likely research the competitors. The way that they should do that is not looking at the nominations. So at a world championship or an international competition, all of the coaches will receive nominations. They will receive their previous lifts okay? Um, athletes previous list. Now those are sometimes fudged, mm. okay? They're not accurate. So you have to actually go to the specific score sheets. So if you see a Russian athlete, go to the Russian national championships and look at the score sheet, right? If you see an American lifter, go to the USA Raw Nationals and look at the score sheet and get their actual numbers. It also helps you to study some of their score sheets as, as you're as you're doing the research because what you'll notice is you will notice like if you're talking about jen thompson jen thompson fantastic lifter i'm sure everybody who's listening knows who that is right 63 kilo you know legend right right and 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 so if you look at her score sheet um her openers are insanely low every single opener is is insanely low so if you're looking at the prognosis. Which is basically just all of the opening attempts added up to 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 see you know for the you know to project what the total is. If you at the beginning of the day just look at the prognosis, you'll look at Jen and you'll be like, she's sitting in sixth right now. Her prognosis is sixth, Mm -hmm. right? But what you don't understand is that her jump from one to two, her opener to second, is massive. It's massive on every lift. It's massive. And so she will jump back into position on second attempt. So researching your competitors gives you an idea of what maybe their strategy is. It'll give you a sense of what their actual numbers are. But then when you're in the competition, you need to use that as another data point. So essentially, if they are squatting and they've just done their third squat and they failed to squat, you need to know if they, first of all, did they fail on strength or technique? If they fail on technique, I'm not necessarily super concerned. It's, it it is what it is. If they fail on strength though, and that lift is, you need to compare that lift with where they've been previously. Did they fail five kilos less than their PR? Did they fail five kilos less than their last competition, which was just, you know, two months ago? Like where is that missed lift in context, right? Um, Because then you can then, know how risky you're willing to play the bench and how you're will, how risky you're willing to play the deadlift because if they're not on that day, if they're not on in their third squat, they're not going to be on on the third deadlift, right? You can use it as a data point. Typically, that that's a good correlation. Same for if they're having a fantastic day. If they're 10 kilos above on their squat, right, on a PR, on a meet that they've done two months ago and that was a PR two months ago, it's just like, wow, they're on and they're going to be on on the deadlift as well. So again, researching your competitors is, is, is good, um, but I would, sort of, I would sort of leave that job to the coach. Um, and then I would also only consider that one data point. There's other things that in the moment that you're trying to use to gather information, but that, that's just one data point. Um, you also mentioned like um, you also mentioned like coming from behind. Like you, you mentioned LS McLean coming from behind. I do have some comments about coming from behind on the deadlift. And that is that th- there's a golden rule. It might seem very simple, but if you're coming from behind and you're going into your last deadlift, like you have to pull first, then you have two, three, four, five other lifters ahead of you. Um, you have to take the 100% shot. Th- there's really no other decision that that can be made at that point other than you putting pressure on the field. Okay, The ball's on your court first. You have to set the tone and make the lift. Okay, because you can't control what happens two, three, four, five lifters down the line. You have to take the hundred percent shot. Um, so it, it's really important. This is why I try to get my athletes, especially if they're coming from behind, I try to get them really fired up on the second attempts. Okay, because a lot of athletes go into their openers and they're quite fired up for their openers, right? They're you know they're in the game, they they, they want to get in the game and whatever, but then they look past the second attempts. And they're already looking to their third attempts, right? They're already looking to what they want to do on their third attempts and they haven't yet done the seconds. And so I want to get them focused in on the very next lift, the second attempt. And the reason why is because the second attempt is going to be the greatest evaluation for how they're going to perform on the third attempt. I don't care how their opener looked. I don't care how their warm-ups looked. I don't care how their lifts looked two weeks ago in training. I am basing the third attempt based on the second attempt. There's no other basis for, for evaluating your third attempt. It's the second attempt. So if the the lifter goes into that second attempt really lazy or not very focused, um, or they're just treating it like, or whatever lift, let's just get to the third attempt. It doesn't give me the feedback to know how many more kilos they have left in the tank for the third. So I'm getting them right fired up for the second, especially if they are coming from behind, because I want to know, under best-case scenario, do they have 5 kilos left in the tank, 7 kilos, 10 kilos? What is it? Because the difference between 10 kilos and 7 kilos could be the difference, Mm. right, between making the podium and not. And if they don't go hard on the second and make it look easy, I might go to the 7-kilo jump, not the 10-kilo jump. So I think that the, the strategy... Going into your final deadlift, I mean, there's lots of other sort of little things that you need to know, when it comes down to reading the score sheet. But just as a base level rule, you gotta take the 100% shot if you're coming from behind. Um, yeah, that's sort of what I wanted to say. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I remember too. Um, we weren't coming from behind. I remember at the Nat, at the worlds too. Justin one time told me, Justin Reese, uh, coach for the Canadian national team as well, and he was like, "Listen." If we're going to try to snag a medal, we might have to do some crazy shit for this last pull i want. I told him we were good for it. He's like, when you go out there and you hit this deadlift, the second dead, because um, I need them to think you got a lot in the tank. Because I'm going to put something up there. You're going to be pulling after these guys. So the strategy, someone's coming from behind. It's kind of the opposite strategy. So, like you were saying, you're coming from behind, stay in the pocket. And the opposite strategy, you got a bigger pull. You're like, pull them out of pocket, right? So he was like, I want you to smoke the second dead, but you don't, you don't let on like it means anything to you. Like you've done this a million times. So you, there's no, yeah, there's no pointing to the crowd. There's no, cause I was doing that after my squat and my bench hit up the, the family and the crowd, whatever. He's like, no, I want you to smoke this with fucking speed and, and walk away. So they're like, ah, fuck. So when the other coaches do the same job you were thinking, seven kill, ten kill. they're go. they're erring on the upper end with you nice like, shit and now they're coming out of pocket a little too much and there's things yeah. like that where just little things where you're telling you're queuing the lifter has no idea he's not looking at the scorecard he, is, he or she has no idea but it's like a poker game where it's like don't show everything though um so this time and i've never had a coach tell me this and now when you're telling me it Absolutely makes sense. When you're trying to pull someone out of the pocket, some he's worried about someone coming up from behind, and I did have guys coming up from behind, by the way. And he's thinking we need them to load the bar, and he's thinking, listen, whatever, you're an excitable guy, tone it down a little bit. You're showing a little too many cards right now. Don't act so happy with this. Act like this is well beneath you, and you got a big third coming. He's because I'm going to put in a placeholder to scare these fucking people.
1: Yeah, I think I think like what I think the mentality of a coach. I think. I think when you be, when you start to become a little bit more of an advanced coach, you 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 start to play the play the coach, the, the other coach, right? Like you're trying to think about what they're going to do in response, and you're trying to get ahead of that. Um, like uh, I, I, very very often, what I see from from novice coaches is is I see a lack of sort of just situational awareness backstage. So backstage, what will happen is is they will be talking to their athlete about what the strategy is, or they'll be talking to a co-coach about what the strategy is. And they won't know that like their competitors are, are right around them. Right. Like, uh, and it's like, well, I'm standing right here. You're, you're basically saying what your strategy is. Right. Um, and that's just because they're so focused in on, on, on their athlete and what they're doing and whatever, but they haven't sort of zoomed out and looked and, 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 and tried to get in into my shoes right and and to see what i'm doing they're just focused in on what they're doing um so yeah i oftentimes very much hear hear exactly what athlete strategies are just by being in and around the in and around the environment um but the best coaches generally just are are holding their cards fairly close um and and if they're if they're talking about strategy it's usually away from the score sheet um it's away from everybody else um as it as it should be right um but yeah there's lots of little things that you can do like that like um, and and you and 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 you're going to know certain co- at the at the international level you're going to know which coaches go for it right which coaches you know want to push even though they're going they're coming from behind you know you're going to know which ones push or which ones are a little bit more conservative like me you're going to have those th- those nuances um, just based on the coach's philosophy so yeah it's definitely a lot about playing the coach um, because at that at that level you're dealing with especially if records come into play you know you're dealing with 0.5 kilos between being on the podium and not being number one and not. Um, it's like, it's anybody's game. Like, you know, I remember, I remember you guys commentating, um, the, um, the 84 kilo open class last year, right. With Amanda Lawrence and, um, Daniela Mello there. Um, and it's like uh, any given day one of those, one of those athletes could have been on top, right? Like they're, they're both extremely strong. Um, and at some point, it, it, you know, it, it, tactics coming coming into play. Now, that's an interesting session to talk about, just because they were coached by the same the same coach. It's sort of a it's sort of an interesting one there. But same thing, right? Like I mean, at that level, everybody's super strong. It comes down to tactics.
0: It's so. When we, let's talk about chips a little bit. Let's talk about because there are interesting matchups. Every like every game that I have on brings up that session, by the way. But um, but there's because. There are interesting things like in terms of lot number, body weight, and chips. So maybe let's talk a little bit for people who don't know because there's the, uh, the not-so-unusual someone gets a chip. Uh, not-so-unusual maybe someone else picks another chip in the next event. Sometimes you get two chips floating around with the same person, and um, some people could possibly tie things up by accident. Like there's weird things that can happen, right? Um, so... Maybe let's talk a little bit. I don't know if you got specific examples, but there are some. I remember when I was in Sweden, checking out your Instagram. And for anybody who's interested in terms of a master class in handling, first off, follow Abby on his Instagram. My man at the Worlds was posting up. Now, this is interesting. we got three chips in play. Very rare you see that. Breaking out different options. And, and wow, well, if this person has this lot number, the lot number advantage, and people are like, what the fuck is lot number advantage? And then there's <laughs> like, you know – Body weight though, so that's a factor. And then there's different things like that. And um, so let's, maybe let's talk about some of those different variables. And then, uh, yeah, let's, we'll, let's take it from there. Yeah, so I guess like you
1: always need to know where, where you're in relation. You, and, and, and you need to know in relation to the people who you're competing against, who has the advantage or not. Now advantage in powerlifting comes down to a few different things. Number one, it comes down to um, the weight that you lift. So if you are lifting more weight, um, you are always going to be following your competitors. Um, So you're going to be able to see what they're doing basically, right? Um, So that is an advantage, just being able to lift more. Even if it's two and a half kilos more, you're always going to be able to see what they do. So if, if I'm opening up at two and a half kilos more right, than my competitor, I will be able to see my competitor go, see what the bar speed looked like, see if they struggled, see if they made it or missed it, and then see them put in the next attempt. I will always be able to be in the driver's seat being able to then put in my attempt, right? And that is super important at the international level because, again, like I said, at that level, you're not putting on what you want to do. You're responding to to the field there. So in many cases, if you're following an athlete, and this is just one example, one of your strategies could be that you're just going to match spreads, So if they take a 10-kilo spread, we're going to take a 10-kilo spread. You know, that's one strategy under a particular scenario. If you follow them, you lift more weight, you can implement that strategy. So that's one way that you can gain advantage. Another way that you can gain advantage is by lot number. Now, a lot of people might not understand what lot number is. It's the random number that you get in in the the weigh-in room, Um, and it's just totally random. it's randomly assigned, but it is like the most important thing when it comes to like the third attempt deadlifts because a lot number basically determines who goes first if the weight is tied. So if you if you and another athlete both are 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 lifting 200 kilos, the person with the highest lot number, okay, the higher lot number will pull afterwards. So the same principle applies with if you're lifting more weight you follow if you have the higher lot number you also follow if the two weights are tied Th- this is important because at the level of i mean let's talk about lower weight classes for a second because this comes into a, a, this comes into play all the time with lower weight classes if you're in the 59 kilo weight class 66 kilo weight class right strength does not have a big spread at that level you are not going to have a big spread in attempts everybody is within a very small Sort of bandwidth in terms of their attempts five kilos seven kilos and there's a lot of people who are tying on attempts so the person with the higher lot number will always follow that's a huge advantage to have especially going into the last deadlift and then of course there's the body weight if the totals tie the person with the um the lower body weight will 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 be the winner so you want to have the best position to be in is somebody with a low body weight a high lot number and somebody who has a has a stronger lift just an overall stronger lift right you know you can't get all of those but if you can have one or two that might make you in a better position a more advantageous position compared to with the competitors and if you're competing with three or four or five other lifters all all very tight you need to know who do you have position on and who don't you have position on OK, in terms of those advantages. And so you basically have to write those out you know, to start the day because you're not going to know what the body weights are. You're not going to know what the lot numbers are until the weigh ins are done. So a lot of coaches just, oh, we're done the weigh ins. We're going to go over to the warm room now and start warming up. No, the first thing you do is you go and find out what everybody's body weights are. You go and mm-hmm. find out what everybody's lot numbers are and you're figuring out who has advantages and who has disadvantages. And then the other advantage that you talk about is the chip right? So the chip is if you're in a position where you can beat um, a a record and records are contextual. So if you're at the world championships, you can't beat a national record by 0.5. You have to beat a world record. If you're at the national championships, you can't beat a state record or provincial record at the national championships. You have to beat a record at the level that you're competing at. So let's just talk about the world level. If you're in a position to break a world record that is important because now you have a 0.5 kilo increment that carries with you throughout the entire day so if our two totals ryan tie at 420 kilos that's our total and i broke a record earlier in the day then i'm at 420.5 you can't tie me at 420.5 you have to go and do 422 and a half you have to beat me by an additional two kilos So it forces the other lifter to have to do more weight than just tying. So again, these are the four different ways you can get advantage. And there's other ways too, but these are the main ways. And so when you're looking at, like, when you're looking at, um, I don't know, I mean, like, giving you an example, like, going into the the final deadlift um, and three, four, five people are are, are battling against each other, um, the decisions that you make in terms of attempts – rely on they are dependent on the advantages that you have so if you're if you don't have a lot number if you don't have body weight if you don't have a heavier deadlift if you do or you don't have a chip all of that comes into play in terms of what number you actually put on the barbell Um, again it's not what it's not what you want to lift it's using the advantages that you have in the moment and then reading the live score sheet and doing the math that that we talked about
0: it's amazing because so many people Enter into it. I know initially in the game, how many people would be like, well, the strong person's going to win. And they'll be like, um, you know, I'm just basically afterwards, people who call themselves like their handlers, like yes, but they're just not coaches. I would call you a handler, but not a coach. If you're just like after the second attempt, five kilo, 10 kilo, what are we looking at? No, it's if you just don't have any idea of all these variables, and these are like variables on the chessboard that are moving pieces. And then, um, on top of that, you have the final. When it comes down to the final deadlift, you you can have place floor deadlifts and change up your deadlift. It's twice all already. And if you're yeah. if you're, and we can get into that in a second. Um, but yeah, these are all variables that you have to pay attention to, as well as um the other calculations you're doing have they missed their third squat because historically speaking this lifter maybe all lifters is 58 percent they're going to miss their third dead this lifter in particular you might have crunched the numbers and be like he hasn't fucking hit one yet it's going to take him a miracle yeah. to take his third and, and and it's every attempt it's every
1: attempt to run like i mean you, you right yeah. from the first squat you're making tactical decisions it's not like it's not like hey do you want to go five Do you want to go ten it's we either need 10 or 12 in this next one, which one's it going to be? It's not, what do you feel like doing? It's here's the score sheet. Here's what we need to do to stay ahead. Right. Here's, here's what we need to do to keep pressure. And it's here, here's the options. And sometimes there's no options. It's just like, this is what we have to do, go and do it. Um, And again, it's tough to describe what these scenarios are without reading a live score sheets. But um, you know um, I'll give you an example. I mean, you mentioned talking about the, 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 the two changes on the deadlift one of the biggest mistakes that I see happening on the two changes in the deadlift is not understanding lot number. So, so for example, like in, in the deadlift, you, you can change your, you can change your deadlift up to two times. All right. You can change it either up or down and you should be using these to your advantage. There's, there's some strategy here in terms of, so you, you get a walk off the second attempt deadlift and go put in a third attempt, but then you have an additional two attempts. So really you have three opportunities to select your, your, your third deadlift. And every single time you put in an attempt for your third deadlift is a is a is a strategic play, and, and it's interesting because this is the only lift where you can actually move the bar up or down. Now you can't move it down below what your second attempt was, but you can move it. Let's say your second attempt was 200 kilos, right? You can bring it up to 250 kilos, and or you can bring it back down on a, on, a, on a change down to 202 and a half kilos, right? You can you can move it up or down, and many times. You know coaches are are doing that you know strategically maybe maybe they're trying to throw the other coach off their game or whatever um but here's the one of the biggest mistakes i see in terms of changing your your second attempt or you're changing changing your deadlift is not understanding lot numbers so essentially let's say you want to do 210 kilos right that's the number that you you have decided that that's the number that's going to set you up to be the absolute best chance to getting on the podium is 210. Now your second attempt was 200, okay? So 200 is your second attempt. 210 is where you want to be for your third, okay? However, you go to the table and you put in 220. Maybe you're playing a move, whatever. You put in 220 and you're going to say, I'm going to change my my deadlift down to 210, Okay. Now there's a timing to things here because you you cannot change your attempt. Um, you cannot change your attempt below what's already currently on the bar. So the third attempts are going along, and the bar is ramping up. It's at you know it's at 180. It's at 185. It's at 190. It's at 195. It's at 200. Lifters are going now. Right now it's 205. Okay. Now it's 210. Mm. Okay. And now you want to drop your opener down, or your, sorry, your opener, your third attempt down to 210, okay? Because you've identified that 210 is the number. And let's say a lifter before you is attempting 210 as well. So there's a couple lifters attempting 210 and you want to drop your number down to 210. This is where lot number actually can, can, can be problematic. Because if other lifters are attempting 210 and you have a lower lot number, you cannot change your opening deadlift down to 210 after somebody else has done 210. Because technically speaking, if you have a lower lot number, you have to go before all of these other lifters who will want to attempt 210. So, that's the problem that i see is just not understanding like when to change that that third attempt deadlift based on lot number in my opinion like in this example here when the bar is at 200 or 205 the lifter should be changing down to 210 because they have the lower lot number and they're gonna have to let's say there's two or three other people going at 210 you have to go first if Mm -hmm. you're the one with the lowest lot number so don't wait until other people have done 210. You got to get your number in there before because you got to go first. And I've seen situations like that, and then you know people trying to change change to 210, and the tail being like, you can't change to 210. They'll be like, what are you talking about? 210s on the bar now. I can change the bar to 210, and they're like, no, you have a lower lot number. You can only go to 12 at that stamp at that point. And then when they tell you you can only go to 12, well maybe fucking is too heavy, right?
0: Well, <laughs> so. Yeah at that top end, two and a half kilo can be all she wrote.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I I think that there's, there's definitely a timing to things like a lot of people want to get wrapped up in this crazy strategy around, you know, like, let's do a fake here. Let's do this and let's make them pretend that we're doing this and whatever. Trust me, strategy, is all part of it in, in the third deadlift, but you can't forget the rules, right? The rules beget the strategy. You have to understand the rules. Um, And then that's where I feel like people sort of lack a little bit of knowledge and how, I mean, you can read the rule book, but you're not going to know how it applies until you're in the moment. Like whoever thinks about, Oh yeah, three or four lifters are attempting two ten on their final deadlift. Oh, if I'm the lower lot number, I actually got to put that number in before all these other people. You don't think about things like that. Right. And who, and why would you know that? Right. Why would you know that? Um, if you haven't been in that situation and I'll tell you this, I have been in that situation Right. Where my lifter now has to do two and a half kilos more than what's required for the win. Right. Why would you want to do two and a half kilos more than what's required for the win? Because you screwed up the lot number. Yeah. So little, little things like that. Right.
0: And it's true. And it, just like any sports, it's easy to be the viewer watching and I'm like, Oh shit, what happened there? What happened there? And it's like, well, listen, we've had however many sessions um, for a second there, I blanked on the lot number. You might even be telling yourself we got the better lot number. we got the lot number advantage. we got the higher lot number. You're like, oh shit, no we don't. Wait a second. You know, things happen. But people only remember the misses. They don't remember the hits. Um, due to this, is there a reason ever that you could think of, and I'm trying to think, where you're ahead, come the, the final deadlift, you both got a placeholder, you're staring eyeball to eyeball, you have, you're ahead and you dead first. You change a placeholder first and you go first. Is there
1: ever a situation where, so we're ahead on total?
0: You're ahead on total and you both have the exact same placeholder. And the exact added, same attempt? And um, it's a third attempt and you can dead last, but you go, you opt to go first. Like
1: it's, No, it's, you can't do that.
0: You never would, right?
1: No, you can't do that. And, and, and you wouldn't want to do that. You, if you're if you're in position, you're in position until you give up position. So that's the beautiful part about having position. When I say position, what I'm referring to is if you are following the athlete, if you are following your competitor, you will always follow your competitor unless you decide to give that up. And the way that you give that up is by on the very next attempt, you, for whatever reason, you decide to do a lower number than them. So for example, if if I'm going, if I'm in my opening deadlift. And I have 200 kilos and they have 200 kilos. Right. But I have a higher lot number. Uh, So I will always follow them. Okay? they go do 200. I see them pull 200. They go put in 210. I do 200 and I go put in 207. That's me giving up position. I will then be always before them until they decide to give it up. And you will never want to give up position Mm. going into deadlifts. There are lots of instances where I try to get in position on the opening deadlift because I know once I'm there, I'm not giving it up. Now there are some instances when you want to give it up, but 90% of the time you don't want to give it up. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like if you are, let's say right now, your competitor is opening up at 200 kilos for their deadlift, right? I'm opening up at 197. They're opening up at 200. Right. And let's say I have a higher lot number right? They have a lower lot number. I have a higher lot number. I'm opening up at 197. They're opening up at 200. This would be a good situation for me to bump up my opener to 200. I would want to increase my opener to 200 kilos to match theirs. And because I have a higher lot number, I will always follow them. So for a two and a half kilo increase on an opener, and when do we ever talk about, you know, moving openers up we always talk about moving openers down but for a two and a half kilo increase on an opener i'm gaining position i am moving ahead of my competitor and i will always see what they do on their opening deadlift on their second deadlift, and going into their third deadlift and for me if my openers are moving or if my warrants are moving really quick that's a risk that i'm willing to take that's an easy decision for me bump it up two and a half i'm in position and in the driver's seat the whole time so no you you never want to i mean there are reasons why you want to give up position, but for the most part, you do, don't want to. Like, like, there's very few reasons why you'd give it up. It'd be complicated for me to explain what those reasons are, but for the most part, you're keeping position.
0: And, and when you make your way to the third deadlift, let's say, if you have your head, you make your way to the third deads. you both put in the same placeholder deadlift, wait. Now you have more weight on total so far.
1: Okay, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Um, but we both have the same placeholder. What would, would the lot number change anything at this point? What's gonna happen? Because if you're if I if you're following me though, if you're always okay, following
1: yeah. me. Yeah, I, I understand your question. So I, I understand your question now. So essentially, let's say two athletes, their prognosis is a thousand kilos. Now prognosis is basically all of your successful attempts added up. Okay. Plus the very next attempt. So if you if you you know, so it's all your successful attempts plus your very next attempt. That's your prognosis. So let's say your prognosis going into the final deadlift was a thousand kilos. Let's say we're dealing with super heavyweight guys or whatever, right? It's a thousand kilos. And I'm going head to head with another person. Their 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 totals. Their prognosis is a thousand kilos, and we're both going for whatever, we both put in the same placeholder, as you call it, we both put in 300 kilos for the deadlift. Okay. So we both put in 300 kilos and both of our totals are a thousand kilos. And you're saying if I'm in position, so I'm following that lifter, right? That We're mm-hmm. both opening it. We're both finished. We, we both have 300 kilos as our final deadlift, but I have a higher lot number, so I'm going to follow them. Would I ever drop my attempt below theirs to 295 or 290 and go and execute that up for my third attempt right, right? that's your right. question so yes there could be situations where that makes sense and essentially that would be a that would be a decision where you basically bluff first like you got you're like you' get playing a game of chicken and, and and you put in your your you put in your actual attempt because there's lots of bluffing that happens right 300 is probably a bluff for everybody right who bluffs first? So, mm-hmm. so basically if you're the person dropping first, you're probably wanting to take the hundred percent shot. You probably thought your second attempt was maybe a little bit heavy and you just want to make sure that you secure no matter what that third deadlift, because you know that if they actually go and do 300, well, I probably don't have 300 and I need 300 to win. Mm-hmm. So I would much rather do 295 secure 295 and force them to have to make their lift versus me just being out of me, not being confident in 300. So yeah, like you might drop your attempt. If you thought your second attempt was heavy and you know, you're, you're sort of lacking a bit of confidence. Cause like I said, you got to make the lift. If you don't make the lift, you're out right away. <laughs> so you got to make the lift.
0: Mm, very true. Is there scenarios as well? Let's talk about some chips in there. Um, where, Chips start, if you have three chips floating around, I think you had mentioned one time, it's very rare to have so many chips floating around between two different competitors at the top. But things get interesting when that starts happening and decisions can alter decisions to be made. Is that not right? That's true, yeah. I I remember there was a a scenario in Sweden, I think it might have been the 84 kilo women, where you had mentioned there was an odd situation where there's actually three chips in play. I hope I'm not butchering this scenario. So there
1: was, so there's, the chip on the, I think it was the chip on the bench and there was a chip on the deadlift and a chip on the total. So essentially, and this never happens. So like, this might not be a good learning. This might, this is like fringe, 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 because you're never going to see this, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is the only time that I've ever seen this, but you know, two women go and break the bench press world record and they get a chip, they get a 0.5. We talked about why that's important. And then they break a deadlift world record, both of them. So they have a second chip to play with. And then they also have—they're also looking at the prognosis, and the prognosis is already over the world record. Like by the time the second attempt deadlifts happen, they're way over the world record. So the world record is is being chipped as well. Um, so when there's a triple chip situation, <laughs> basically the chips are there's no advantage to the chips anymore. Hmm. It's basically like dealing with no chips because now everybody can tie each other. Um, again, the advantage for the chip is that one lifter can, can forces the other lifter to have to pull two kilos more because you can't tie at that point. But now when you're dealing with this whole triple chip situation, you can tie that lifter on the 0.5. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very rare. You're not going to see it. You might have one lifter in a situation who's super, super strong and is breaking chips all the way through the competition. But when you have two lifters going for the world championship and breaking a world total record with three chips along the line? It, it's pretty crazy to see. So, but at that point, really the chips just become, they become void. There, there's no advantage to it anymore.
0: Would you start doing things to avoid that on the last chip situation? where you're like look at we don't want a 0.5 now because we're going to end up dead she's going to go up she's going to end up going up to the usual increment of 2.5 so we're going to go um breaking that record making the snare man i hope the math's working out instead of 0.5 we'll just say we got a full kilo so then she now can't go the next natural increment of 2.5 which is natural she has to now go up the the usual over top of chip. You have to start analyzing real quick and be like, all right, we're getting lost in chips here. It's a fucking popping chip party all of a sudden, there's chips all over the floor here. Um, And you got to start doing that math quickly, like you said, being like, we got to make some funny changes here, but this is what we need to do to keep our advantage.
1: Well, the only advantage at that point is who has the heavier deadlift and who has lot number, because chips do not come into play when, when in that triple chip situation. Um, and like I said, like normally chips are gonna have you're gonna have the advantage, a massive advantage. But in that situation, two lifters, they both broke a, a world record on the bench. They both broke a world record on a deadlift. There, there's no advantage. It becomes, it it it, it becomes like erroneous well, at that point. It's it's well, it's.
0: Do you have to go up 2.5 though for a world record? No. Okay. So could someone double up two chips so it's not a three chip, it's a four chip? You know what I mean? Where you're you're stacking chips on one end. With one with your with your second deadlift record, you're like, all right. To break this tie in chips null and void, can you jack up the chips? I'm not doing the math in my head here, but is it possible? No,
1: no, because the other athlete would just have the same would have the same advantage. Like both of the athletes have the same advantage at that point. So you you basically, if if you're trying, they, they can match you at any time.
0: Oh, that's right too. Yeah, if they, they
1: go after. They, you. They, yeah, they, they can match you at any time. So it, it it comes down to like it it just goes back to like basically. Regular powerlifting where you tie, then the person with the lowest body weight will will win. Um, And again, this situation doesn't happen. You you don't see this situation. Like, if you go back and and you watch that that session, and I'm sure nobody will do that, but...
0: (laughs) um, Rory Lynch will. (laughs) but, But... well,
1: essentially, yeah, there, there's just no advantage at that point. But again, if you can get a chip at any point in the game, you might as well get the chip. So yeah. just get the chip because it's 100, 100% of the time it's going to be beneficial um, because because at that point, let's say you thought, like there, there's situations where I'm just like, especially on bench press, right, where I'm like, man, like you got you got four kilos left in the tank. I know my athlete. I'm like, you got four kilos left in the tank. And so that means we're not going to five kilos. We have to go to two and a half kilos, but with chips, you can put on that four kilo increment. You, you can basically, you can chip however many kilos you want up to, you know, in 0.5. So it's always an advantage because now you can just be precise, as precise as possible to where you think your strength is. And you don't have to operate in that two and a half kilo increment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. So when looking at this, it is a bit of a chess game, right? When I used the term, I posted up when Rory Lynch was on there and I put, Rory Lynch, the chess master. And people were like, chess master, I mean, it's weightlifting. You know, the stronger person wins. How often do you think, like, do you see the game changing in your day when you first entered in? Was it almost like you felt like you had a bit of a cheat code on some of these people? Because I tell you what, it's shocking how even in 2019, when I'm doing the commentary, there are national teams making some mistakes. You're like, oh, shit. Like, you could tell what national teams actually have a program for coaching staff and actually go through this program for coaching staff. I know Matt Gary, who's been in powerlifting forever, coaches, um, coaches the coaches and it's important. And oh, it's some nations though, they send people out there and they're just kind of vibing it. They're just kind of going with the flow and you could tell and you're like, Oh no, you guys are in big trouble.
1: Yeah. I think that I, I, I yeah, I mean, Canada has always had strong coaches. I can think of in Canada, we have Mark Morris, we have Ryan Stinn, we have, um, amazing coaches who, who know the strategy. Okay. Um, and, and, and when, you know, and, and when we started to pair up coaches in the international environment, it was just taken to the next level. Cause now I'm co-coaching, right? I, you know, a head coach and assistant coach, and I'm saying, what do you think about this strategy? And we're going back and forth. And then I'm like, okay, let's not have our blinders on. Let's take a look at this now, and and we're having that dialogue, and that often helps you elevate your game even more. Um, I mean, early on, there were a few coaches internationally who were really good, who 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 I probably learned a lot from just by getting my ass kicked from them. Who's that? Right. Who's that? So we'll, let's shoot some names So obviously Matt Gary. I mean, he he knows his he knows his numbers, um, and, and he knows strategy. Um, he knows his lifters, he's, he's an excellent, he's, he's a, the best hype man that you're going to have. He knows how to dial in based on, based on your personality, so he knows how to say the right words at the right time, and he knows how to um, get athletes to rise to the occasion. I mean, that's a huge strength of his, but he also knows the strategy and the tactics and, and, and the rules and all of that stuff. Um, Carol Arvidsson from Sweden, she's the head coach for, for, for Team Sweden. Um, she's been around, nobody would know her, Nobody. She she has not a lot of following on on Instagram. Um but she is silently in the background kicking people's asses at world championships, and you wouldn't even know. You yeah. wouldn't even know that she was responsible. She is she is she is an absolute killer out there. Um and she has done stuff that I'm just like it blows my mind from a strategy perspective. I look at her, I'm just like I cannot believe you just did that. You
0: know, what's funny. Like, I just want to throw this in there before you, before you finish the list because I want to snowball off that. Rory Lynch, actually. Funny, anyone listening. Okay, that's the second fucking time you heard this killer's name. Rory Lynch said her from Sweden, and he said the exact same thing. He's like, you better come correct because she's unassuming. And you would have people who are more Instagram famous, more whatever, more programming side coaches that have that following. Handling is not the sexy coaching. It's starting to now. It's starting to a little more now, but, um, there's an old school thought, you know, you're just running numbers and it's like, all right, well, if you, if you think you're just handing in numbers and you don't understand power of And then if you think, because you write program, you know how to handle you again, Rory went into it in the the other podcast. It's not intuitive. It's not even the same skills in terms of crunching numbers in six, 30 seconds go. We're having all night crunching numbers going over data, totally different, even intuitions people have. And then you have killers like that, that she's gonna show up unassuming from sweet. And if you take her lightly and you don't know what the fuck you're doing, she's gonna bully you all over. And at the end of the day, your lifter's gonna be like, What happened? We came in nominated Uh-oh. We came in nominated third, we finished eighth. The fuck oh, happened. yeah, and and she's so stealthy too, right?
1: Like one of the things that you wanna be is very stealthy backstage because you wanna be putting in attempts at certain times. You don't want like like when I'm making a change, I'm trying to sneak in there. I want to make, make sure that people don't see me do certain things. And, and she'll be back there, and, and she she will just be, you know, like, very stealthy. Um, like, so, you know, J.P. Couchy's another great game day coach, and unfortunately, like, he's not in the IPF anymore because of the whole Australia follow, but he was a guy who you'd go head-to-head with him, and, and you knew you knew that you were dealing with somebody that knew what was going on. I mean, Canada, like I said, has great coaches, Ryan Stinn, Mark Morris, Jeff Butt. Um, Tom Keane these are all great guys who we've all come together um, Carla Ramsey uh, we've all come together at international competitions before and and, and you know we have a shared skill set and we just elevate each other um, and I think I think like we're lucky here in Canada because we have that we have that sort of skill set right um, there's other people as well that I don't even know their names they're from other countries but you see them backstage and you see them every year and you're just like all right we're going against that team. Game right? Like we're going, we're going against that guy. Then. Yeah, game <laughs> and, on. and so you just know, right? Like you just, you just sort of, sort of know the guys, but um, yeah, I mean, so game day is not just about numbers, right? It's not, that, I mean, that's one part of it. I mean, you, you need to be willing to leverage every single rule in the rule book. And I'll give you an example. And, and, and I actually put this out on Instagram here today. Um, I'll give you an example. Like, protesting other lifters, right? You have to know the protocol for how to protest other lifters lifts. Now, I'm not here to talk about the ethics of whether you should or shouldn't protest another lifter. I mean, if you're going to protest another lifter, You make that decision but you have to execute it in the right way because there's a protocol there right you have to know what you can protest another lifter on how to do it the timing of things so i'll give you an example i was coaching at the 2014 um ipf classic world championships in south africa and i was coaching in um a 47 kilo division and i was backstage warming my lifter up and i look over to the russian team and for whatever reason this lifter is has her singlet off she's in her bra and she puts on some sort of wrap around her body. Now, I'm not gonna call it a belt, but it was certainly like a waist trainer of sorts. Now, it wasn't a waist trainer, but that's sort of what it looked like. I'm not quite sure what it was for. Maybe it was like a hernia belt, maybe it was something to keep something patched up, who knows, she puts her singlet up, she puts her belt on top and she's warming up. Now. You can't have that around your waist. Like, that's an extra piece of equipment. It's part of the rules, right? Now, if she would have done that in the back, whatever, room, somewhere where nobody could see, fine. Nobody would have even seen that. But I'm looking right at her, you know, putting this on. Now, obviously, we're going to protest that, right? But part of the gamemanship now is when do we protest? Uh When is the most opportune time to protest this lift, right? Am I just going to go right over during the ups while she's, you know, while she's in the, no, I'm not, I'm going to wait. Right. So she goes and she does her opener. She's going to make her opener anyways, whether you protest it or not. She goes and does her second. She's going to make her second, whether you protest it or not. So the bar is getting loaded for her third attempt. And that is the time to protest. Now that is, oh, that's a decision where you have to know the rules and, and, and if you're going to protest, do it at the right time, right? So you go and protest, and that could cause one of three things. One, it will cause her to be disqualified from the competition altogether. Two, it could just disqualify that that lift, right, that, that third attempt, which is basically what we want. That would be an ideal outcome. Or number three, she runs out of time because now the clock's starting, and now referees are going back there, and they're asking her to take off her singlet, take off her belt, all this stuff, right, and the time's running. And, and actually, number four, think of you going to your third attempt deadlift, the sort of mindset that you need to be in to go into a heavy third attempt de- uh, squat, and now your mindset is all messed up because you have different people yelling at you, saying, do this, do that, and you got referees all around. So, of course, I'm not here to talk about whether that's right or wrong, but if you're going to protest, do it at the right time, that's going to be an advantage to you, and obviously – um, that that lift was 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 they were going to kick her out of the competition. They didn't, but that lift didn't count, right? And so, uh, like that's what we wanted, right? We got the outcome that we wanted. At the end of the day, right? We had a higher total. That was one of the reasons, not the only reason. But this is the sort of gameness that you can that, that that you have to do at the elite level. Again, I'm not here to talk about the ethics of it because I'm, I'm just here. If you're gonna if if you're going to compete and be part of the rules, be part of the rules and follow them and don't try to cheat because we all know that you can't wear two belts. So, I mean, there's tons of things that you can do from a strategy standpoint that have nothing to do with math. Right. I I can think of, again, just in terms of timing, right. There's rules around how many coaches you can have backstage. Right. And so you have coaches backstage or people sneaking backstage and friends coming backstage. And, and so you get these, I, I specifically remember, right. Like, Sweden team Sweden back there hanging out with a huge entourage and we're going head to head with them and they got to go make their last deadlift. When do you think I'm going to go protest this like, nine coaches backstage? I'm going to go right before their third deadlift, right? Like I'm going to go to the jury and say, I don't know what's going on with team Sweden. They're only supposed to have three coaches backstage. I'm counting nine. One of them wearing a ball cap. You're not allowed to wear ball caps backstage and you play it up. Like, you play it up to the jury members who you know are going to have a freak
0: out. So, you know. They're, they, yeah, uh, pick the uh, guys. Yeah. Pick who you go to. Who yeah, in that case it. law? Who is a stickler? Who has been telling Sweden all championships, not nine people? You go to that fucking guy who's headed up to here with it. Right? Hanny Smith. Hanny Smith. You go up to Hanny
1: Smith and That's say, right. listen, here's what's happening. I don't know what's going on, but maybe you want to go check it out. The bars already loaded for this guy. And mm-hmm. they start yelling at the lifter, start yelling at the coaches to get out of there. This is a guy who probably needs the emotional support, right? He has nine lifters, he has nine of his friends backstage. He he needs the emotional support. You you kick out his best friend and his best friend can't give him a slap on the back before his last deadlift. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's gonna do to sort of arousal levels? This is definitely not gonna be peak arousal if he if he if he doesn't have the environment he wants, but that's what we want. You know being on the opposing team and so like you, you 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 think of powerlifting as this static environment but it's not at all right i mean like if you know the rules and you know you know like how they're supposed to be implemented it's like any other sport in the world you leverage them to your advantage and you use every play in the playbook and and this is what it comes down to i'm not doing that at the local level like are you crazy like are you crazy
0: no people be happy for life
1: well, listen. We're going for a gold <laughs> yeah. medal at the World Championships, right? Like this is—you've been training years, and if you're on a Canadian national team or a U.S. national team, you have one shot at that because you're not guaranteed to show up on that team next year. There are way too many strong people in these countries. In the U.S., top five could probably win a World Championship. So every time you go to a national championship. You're, it's like literally a world championship for you. You have to be the best in the world at the national championships and people are coming for you. So you have one opportunity, one opportunity to, to make it. And we're, 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 we're putting every rule in the rule book forward. Um, so of course we're doing that, right? I, and, and again, like I, I'm not here to say like what's right and what's wrong. But I'm saying if you know the rules, you know the rules should be followed, then, then when you go and execute – one of these things <laughs> just just do it and do it at the right time right um, I think it's something that a lot of people forget
0: you know what I, I think it's it's such a wily veteran move and I love it it's true like look you learn that in life period where information is knowledge right or, or sorry information is a weapon you can use and it's when do you gonna when are you gonna pull out the big guns and sometimes you know when you're inexperienced in general you're quick to pull out the big guns when it's like that that wasn't the time to pull the big guns and that you're not doing what you think you could do relax stay calm thank you someone comes up to you and tells you abby this is what i saw thank you thank you for that information i'm aware as well i'm just going to hang on to that for for a minute and you use yeah. it when it's most opportune and that's when and rory lynch was on here and he said i make two i make no two bones about it he's like um if i have new zealand across the chest and you know if team new zealand helped pave the way and the lifters here have been training forever I'm going to do my job and I, my feelings aren't involved. If you're, if you're not doing your job, so be it. Sharks smell blood. You're not from, you didn't come ready. Then you're going to get bullied around a little bit. If not, it'll be good for you. It'll be that learning lesson. Like you said, you got earlier when some older wily veterans bullied you around there. Fuck, I'm not doing that again. But, um, you know, he said, he's like, that's, that's the way you have to look at it. When you walk into the world championships, that's my job. It's not to make friends. It's to earn points and in a large extent. In the bigger picture, that's session per session. But when you're at the world level, you're collecting points. And then you're getting evaluated afterwards. Abby, how did we do at the World Championships? Well, we came in second to the U.S. Got more points than we've ever done in years. Because it's like a game of risk. You know, it's one of those war games where took a couple losses in a couple little sessions. We lost some ground. Came in here and nominated fifth. Abby, why did we end up in eighth if we were nominated fifth? Well, here's what happened. Took a gamble bit that one it is what it is but you need I, to you need to win more and you lose more and move up the rankings
1: yeah i mean just on the point of rankings and i don't know what other countries place in terms of their emphasis on this but i'll tell you this like in canada it means something to move up in the rankings as a team like it means something that we compete as a team that 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 you can place as a team at these championships because you are accumulating points based on individual performances and and, and we look to that We look at that and we celebrate that. And I don't know if a lot of other teams do that. And certainly a lot of teams going to world championships aren't sending full teams. You take a look who's sending full teams. I mean, maybe it's, you know, maybe the top 10 countries, let's say. But after that, you know, 10 to 30, you know, they're sending half teams, so they don't really care. But we care about being top three in the world for best best male open, best female open, right? We care about those things. Um, I mean, I don't think a lot of people know about how the team points are accumulated, but you can send – um, uh, when you send lifters to the world championships, you you have five people that can earn points. It's your top five highest placing um, individuals who earn team points for the team. So not everybody is accumulating team points, just the top five. So if we know that we're prospecting beforehand, we say, who are the five that are likely going to earn team points for us? And if one of them can move from sixth to fifth, that means something to us, okay? Because we've already identified who are the five who are gonna earn team points for us. So we might be going, we might be in a head-to-head battle for fifth place, but we wanna be fifth place. And other people would be like, why they get, why are these guys so hardcore about fifth place? <laughs> well, we care, about, we care about that thing, right? So, and not only that, like, you know, like I said, these athletes, they, they have very rare, we don't, everybody knows Maria T from Canada, 57 Kilo Open, you know, she's been on the international team for five years now, right? That's a rarity. Every year, there's going to be a changeover more likely. And so, um, if if you can go to the World Championships once, you have to treat it like that's your only opportunity. And if we can get you from sixth to fifth, not only does that benefit the team, but forevermore you can say you were fifth in the world, top five in the world. So that's pretty cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people. I don't think. Do you think it's starting to come a little more aware? I know you're running a class right now. Let's talk about that. What the what you're running, the program you're running, and. Um, you think like you're. I think you're feeling a need, and obviously you do too. But this is perfect timing because I'm on this big handling kick as well, coaching kick. But do you think? Because I-, I swear to God, man, I, there are people who are lifting at the world level, but some people are just freak athletes. They hit the world level and they don't know what you think they might. And then you have some some big name coaching um, that that are amazing at programming, but in terms of game day, because they're not national team, and again. You're not gonna get this at the local level. You're not gonna get this if you're showing up at some competitions and your guy or girl is a runaway favorite and it is what it is. You need top 10 or at least top five and anybody can win it now these variables come into play. There's some federations even that good luck finding that. You could look everywhere and and some feds are so spread thin and some untested, I'm not shitting on the untested for anyone listening, I'm just saying because they don't have a worlds though, you can break records, et cetera. And that's kind of what you're doing. So handling can almost be a lost art to a certain extent. Um, so what have you seen on the world level in terms of the knowledge on this? Cause I can tell you firsthand talking to lifters and even talking to coaches that you would assume that are like big name coaches. You'd be like, shit, you guys are a little light on this. There's a need, there's a gap. There's a hole that needs to be filled.
1: Yeah. I think that the, um, there's a gap for sure. I, so I have, I have, so at the international level, there's typically um, the, head, the head coach, right? And then there's some sometimes then there's assistant coach. Those are those are assigned to the team, and then you have an additional coach because you're allowed three coaches. Um, you 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 have that additional coach as somebody who is a personal coach of that athlete, right? So you know they they travel the world championships as well. They're the one who handles their 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 everyday programming, and and that's their coach. That is their coach. Um, like year round, but when they show up to the competition, the person who's handing in the attempts, at least for Canada, and the same goes for the U.S. Um, and, and a few other countries, uh, the game day coach, the, the head coach for the team, the assigned team handles the attempts because it is a different skill set. But often there is a little bit of tension. I've experienced this earlier in my career, but, but not now because now – there's a little bit more knowledge around game day strategy um, in terms of just respecting everybody in their roles. And, and also we try to get ahead of it a little bit in terms of really bringing the coach into uh, the, the, the personal coach into the dialogue. And really early on, like several weeks before the competition, we're sort of liaisoning with them and chatting with them and hearing how their training is going and everything. And they show up on game day and we have some clear rules. We're very clear with our expectations around who does what, um, but there has been some tensions in the past around sort of decision-making processes because they, they will say, and again, these are top level coaches, like you said, um, and, and everybody would know them. Okay. And, and I'm saying, this is what we need to do. And they're saying, but their training says that they can do this. And, and that's, that's the, the, the disconnect is I don't care what they have done in training. I don't care what the training yet, the training evidence says at that point, What is happening on the score sheet takes absolute priority at that point. Um, And so there's a little bit of a learning curve to get over, right? So when you put together your game day sheet, what you show up to the competition with, your openers, your seconds, your thirds, your warm ups, your game day sheet, that's based on training evidence. Okay, great. You show up at the meet and we've started our openers. It's all score sheet. Mm. Okay. I want to know what my athlete what the athletes top end capacity is i want to know okay on best case scenario what are they good for if we go to that or not is a whole separate other scenario okay the, the jumps we make the spreads we take between lifts how we're setting the athlete up all the way through the day is based on the score sheet so that's a tough part to get these personal coaches who have a lack of game day knowledge um it's tough to get them on board with that but now I've been coaching at the international level and I've I've worked with game day coaches or I've worked with personal coaches enough that I know how to, I know how to work with them and they've worked with me several times now. I can, I can tell you, you know, they know how I operate and they trust me. But initially there's like this big lack of trust between handing over the, 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 the attempts to somebody that doesn't work with this, you know, athlete on an everyday basis. But, um, but yes, there's a, there's a gap. So, um, yeah. So, just to your point about about my uh, my online course. So, I just launched an online course on game day for powerlifting. Um, it's essentially everything we're talking about here. It's 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 everything from your basic how to, how to pick your attempts at the basic level, but if you are all the way at that advanced stage, or you want to learn more about how to how to game day. Uh, at, at an advanced level we talk about those advanced game day strategies um a really interesting part of, uh, of the course and there's, there's like 11 hours worth of content uh video content but an interesting part for those who are coaches for those who are um you know looking to um you know upskill what they know i spent the last year recording live game day score sheets so i would watch a competition live online and i would record the score sheet so what you see is coaches putting in attempts, moving attempts up and down, seeing how placings are moving. Uh, You don't get those live score sheets um, when you watch the replay. You have to watch it live to see how things are bouncing around. So I spent the last year, I was like, I got so frustrated that people just weren't understanding some of these concepts. And I would try to explain it, but it's so complicated to explain unless you see the live score sheets. Um, and you're in the moment. So I recorded the score sheets and I picked the absolute six best case studies oh, that 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 bring in that bring in all of these game day strategies. So when when we talk about how lot number, body weight, chips, positioning, how all that comes into all these crazy rules, and when you're battling four or five other people, um, we see like there's a very clear example of an athlete going from sixth to third, and here's how she did that, right? Um, here's how she, and it was pure strategy. It had nothing to do with who was stronger that day. Um, so yeah, I, I, I launched this course. Uh, I don't know when this podcast is going out here, Ryan, but I, I decided to do a closed enrollment. So essentially the, the, the deadline is going to, it's going to close on Friday. Um, so in two days from now, which is the 17th. And the reason why I did that is only because I'm very involved with the people who take the course. So for example, like you know, there's going to be lots of questions, people who have, you know, um, customer service issues. And and there's a community, there's a private Facebook group where we all sort of talk about these sort of things. And so I don't want to have too much of my time ongoing being dedicated to this. I'd rather just deal with sort of one cohort. But I don't know how you want to do this, Ryan, but if you want to, if I will give a private link to you. And if anybody who's listening to this wants to take it after the deadline, I'd be happy to just open it up to that small group because I'm assuming this podcast is going to release um, you know, fairly in fairly short order. So I'd be happy to do that. Just a, a private link to your audience. But um, yeah, my, my preference is just, I, I'm not planning on reopening it for until next year because I have other courses I want to launch this year. But um, yeah, I, I definitely want to get a good cohort coming in and, and wanting to learn about this stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's absolutely necessary. I've seen in terms of people that have been messaging me after the last few podcasts and be like, I had no idea. And there's some coaches who are like, have no idea. And it's funny how, um, you know, right now we know the big athletes and the big star athletes. And and initially it's just all about the athletes. It blew up into these coaching services and teams. And now they're kind of all-stars. Everyone knows some of the big names like that. I think the next field is going to be you're going to start knowing the killers when you show up on that day. And, And you start noticing the differences. And athletes need to start asking the proper questions. How many world championships have you coached at? You know, how many different sessions have you coached at? What are we talking about here before I hand you my attempt selection? Because it is a big responsibility. You could work your ass off, do everything right. Make make weight, which could be absolute hell for some people. Hand over your attempt selection sheets to the wrong guy who's, or girl, who's vibing it. And just doing the old, you know, you, you hit 600 in the gym or whatever the hell it is. Let's, let's end off on that. I think you're good for it. And it's like. Where did you pull that number from? Do you have any, are you even paying attention to the score sheet at all? And I totally get what you mean when you say some coaches might show up and be like, look, at, trust me, my guy and my girl, they're good for this. It's like, yeah, but if you have, if, you, if you're not paying attention to what's happening at the score sheet right now, our girl from Sweden is setting you up with so many traps. You never, you're, your lifter's going to drop from third to six and, and not be getting too many points and be being like, what happened? No, it's crazy, I didn't have a great day. How many times you see a, uh, an athlete, I think athletes should take this just to know what the fuck, just so when they show up they know what's going on, even if they're not gonna handle it. And I mean it, cause like, uh, it's, it's very interesting stuff, but how many times does an athlete go, I did everything right, I just couldn't pull it together that day. And they might have no idea they just got gamed out of their position. It's like, no, you did nothing wrong, love. You did yeah
1: day. yeah i mean it, it is it is a very it's a very specialized skill set showing up on game day and, and knowing having that, having having the um the skills to, to know how to outrank out your competitors i mean it's it, there's a ton of strategy like we talked about here today um yeah I, like i i think when so i i think of how people learn about this stuff right um i think that there's a lot of good information right now on programming. Okay, you, you, there's a ton of good resources. There's online courses now for it. You can you can really skill up in the in the area of programming. Um, it, it's quite established, right? I mean, those scientific principles of strength and, and periodization and, and all of that stuff. And the problem with that is that in order to realize your strength on the platform, you have to know something about game day coaching. Um and 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 right now as I see people trying to try and learn about this stuff, it's just piecemeal here and there. Maybe they have one bad experience in a meet and they don't really understand how that fits within the whole picture. Um and I I've been lucky to actually have some interns under me when I coach at the World Championships for the past several years. So I've worked with interns um and I've worked with so interns who then become assistant coaches and then become head coaches um so i mean you talk about a lot of the guys a lot of the guys in canada right you talk about matt goldsmith or justin Reeson or whatever being able to work with them one-on-one through several world championships right and and, and getting them trained up to, to be able to handle handle situations on their own and and i'll tell you this at the, at the first worlds that that, that you intern, you're not handling people on your own you're, you're there to learn right and and the second world championship We're sort of co-coaching the third world championship. You might get one low priority session to to really try to test your skills um, because there's so much involved. There's so much on the line at the world championships. So so you have to be perfect. Um, But anyways, not anybody can intern under me or under Rory or under Matt or under Carol. I mean, you're, you're not going to fly to the world championships to do an in, interning. Right. Yeah. Um, so I do think that there is a need for, for an online course in, in this area. Not a lot of people are going to want to take it. Not a lot of people, uh, you know, like, is it going to apply to, but the people that it is going to apply to, like the people that actually need to know this thing for information, it's incredibly valuable, but not every powerlifter. Need to take it, but certainly if you want if you want to go compete at a high level, and I mean that could be a regionals, that could be a nationals. Well, if you if you at all handling, coaching an athlete, you gotta know the game day stuff. I mean, like it's you don't just show up. It, it would be like showing up to the gym without without your training program. Like you're not doing that, right? Like you have to know the game day skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, or even. I, like, honestly, if you are a personal coach, and, and God knows everybody's a personal coach these days, and there's so many of these personal coaches, when you have an athlete and the ultimate goal is to go to nationals, and how many lifters are going to make the nationals? A lot of them. When you show up at nationals, you want to know what you're doing. You want your lifter who's paying you money and you're there for throughout the day. You want to know what you're doing and know the rules and know this so nobody's gaming you and you look like you got your hat in your head. If you're sending your lifter and they actually make it to the world team and you're working with other coaches like national team coaches, you don't want to be that guy or girl who's – your lifter's looking at you like you kind of look like you a fish out of water right here. Like you you don't want to be – a a, a deficit to that, even if you're not the national team coach and you're the personal coach, you don't want to get in the way. You don't want to be the person who's actually pulling them back. And you don't want to actually end up looking a little foolish because you can get exposed to so many situations where it's like, shouldn't you have known that? Or you wouldn't have known what a lot number is or the body weight advantage or what's going on with these chips or, you know, placeholders the whole nine. Like, you just... It's a really, it's
1: a really awkward conversation to have with athletes. Yeah. I've, I've had to have that, I've had to have that that conversation where it's just like, I fucked up, right? Like, I mean, you, you sometimes have to have these conversations, right? Um, and then you only, you only have to say that once in order for you to be like, okay, I gotta know, I gotta know what what I'm doing next time, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen top level coaches, top level coaches. Um, I remember specifically um at uh, our national championships uh, last year 2019 uh, i remember i remember top level coach and i'm like what's your plan what's your plan right now and they were like we're doing this and i'm like okay but have you considered this and have you considered that and they were just like no and i'm just like okay well you know consider these things and then at the end and then anyways i walked away and then anyways at the end of the day the lifter who was should have been third was off the podium and whatever and i'm just like that, that's a coaching error 100 percent coaching error there's there's it has nothing to do with how strong you are um and and unfortunately like i, I think that athletes don't understand that there are coaching errors right like that that uh, that uh, the athlete that i'm thinking of right now probably didn't recognize like oh you know that was actually a very you know you could you could control that outcome a bit more there's lots to control there so yeah
0: yeah, it's kind of like um, like any sport. I think people are starting to catch up. Basketball. You don't just hop out there and Michael Jordan's calling the shots because Michael Jordan's crazy athletic. That's great. You're a captain, but you're not a fucking coach. And some of these programmers are just captains but not coaches, and they just want to vibe with it. Um, so, yeah, 100%, man. Let's post up the link. I could drop this real quick. I'll pull the audio on it. Uh, I'll take video snippets and throw it out there for people as well. And um, because I think it's a great service sir how do people tell people um, all your social media so they can follow you as well yeah cool
1: they can just follow me personally uh, at everydayavvy on Instagram I don't post a lot on my feed I'm, I'm sort of Sort of yeah, I post very rarely on my feed, but I'm very active on my story. Um, you know, just talking about different powerlifting stuff. Um, yeah, I, 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 something we didn't talk about, but I I, I do have a uh, software company called My Strength Book. So this is just an, another sort of project that I, that I'm involved in which is um, a platform for coaches to manage their athletes' training online so coaches can, um, you know, uh, design workouts, share workouts with athletes, um, you know, communicate with athletes all over the platform, all over the mobile app. So um, that's something else I'm involved in. But more recently, um, you know, like in the last year, I've done a whole lot of blogging. Uh, I've started a website called powerliftingtechnique.com. Um, there's I think 107 articles published on there right now, like over 330,000 words oh, wow. um, of 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 just content. It's everything you can think of from like squatting technique, bench pressing technique, deadlifting technique. Um, actually, that's the site that I'm I'm launching a lot of these courses on. So the game day for powerlifting course is on power, powerliftingtechnique.com. and um, and I have an Instagram for that as well. Power, I just add powerlifting technique, um, and I have an awesome illustrator who's designing just custom graphics for that Instagram. And so I'm trying to break down some of these complex technical aspects of the sport and just putting them in, in, in illustrations. So yeah, just, you'll find me just Google it. <laughs> oh,
0: uh, that's the, the strength book. Um, for, and that's, that's even, that's a great tool for anyone like athletes and coaches as well. A little bit, that's where you're punching in your numbers and it's showing you the charts and where you're charting at and it helps you in terms of plotting the next week and what's working, what's what, what's not working. A far more scientific approach and let's just say, here's a template, work for me, should work for you, works for a lot of people, let's hope it works type deal. Is that it? Yeah, so my strength book
1: essentially, I mean, it's taken a lot of iterations over the last several years. We started in, started the project in 2015, so it's you know been four and a half, almost five years now. But it's a coaching platform exclusively now. So essentially a coach can go on there, they can onboard their athletes uh, and they can, you know, instead of sending their athletes an Excel spreadsheet, they'll design their, their, um, they'll design their training program on on the app. And it's like 10 times quicker than trying to design a program on Excel. So there's just value in just saving time and in in designing your templates. Um, But then Uh, you send the template through the app to the athlete and the athlete as they're training will update their training numbers. Uh, They will post videos to the app. You can communicate with athletes on the app. Um, And so it's just a, it's just a better platform for coaches to manage their athletes training. So instead of having messages come in through Instagram and Facebook and having some random spreadsheet that tracks, you know, some random data from, from your client and, you know, a video over here and whatever, it's just consolidates everything in one place and like you said like there's a ton of data that we provide coaches on the back end you want to talk about volume intensity RPE metrics estimated 1rM metrics we we have- Probably the you know, most advanced data tracking system for for powerlifting specific training. So um, yeah, coaches, we, we have several top level coaches using it. We have actually several universities using it. Um, you know, you know, in the states that um, have teams. Um, and yeah, so it's 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 a coaching platform. If you're if you're an athlete, probably not a, a huge benefit there to you. But if you if you want to get your coach on it, you can tell your coach you know to to go give it a try.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're just working off of a spreadsheet and kind of jab at you somewhat again, in the stone ages here and fall behind everybody else. When you're wondering, how's everybody else getting such progress? Cause they're using data points, real data points, not guesstimated and just, here, here's eight weeks. Well, where did you get this eight weeks from? How do you know this is where I'm going to be at eight weeks from now when I'm on yep. my last week? That That's the questions yep. you should be asking if you get programs like that. Yep,
1: yep, yep, exactly,
0: 100%. All right, my friend, well listen, thank you very much. Is there anybody you want to thank before we let you go?
1: Just you, Ryan. Pushing thank you, sir. you, man. I think you're doing a good thing here for uh, for the profit community. Always, always thought that um, you know, always thought that uh, anybody that can be the voice the voice here, and especially you know, you gotta gotta give you credit, man. Canadian, all right, that's man. Right. That's, <laughs> right.
0: Ah, that's right. Listen, man. Thank you for coming on. Um, obviously, hopefully, I yeah, see you soon. Good luck with all the businesses and, and all the projects you got on the go. Thank you, Ryan. See you, buddy. Cheers. See you, see you buddy then yeah. there you have it. Um, Avi Silverberg, entrepreneur and a fucking coaching genius when it comes to uh, powerlifting. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. Look, listening to podcasts is one thing, and that's good. You got to consider upping your game, especially if you're a coach. If you're a coach, you got to up your game on these world levels when it comes to raw nationals, comes to Canadian nationals, it comes to regional events. If you're in Europe... Maybe your national level, it isn't the craziest. And you're thinking, I don't got to worry about that. But do you go to the European Championship? Do you go to Arnold Classic Europe? It makes the difference between a podium and falling off the podium when it's that tight. In this day and age, it's getting that tight. So by all means, um, wherever you're at, subscribe. Give us high ratings. And uh, that put us in your Instagram stories. We'll repost. Until next time, six-pack that. Beats.